Chapter Thirty Nine of Mary Annerley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mary Annerley by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. Chapter Thirty Nine: Battery and a Sumpset. That little moorland glen, whose only murmur was of wavelets and the principal traffic of birds and rabbits, even at this time of year, looked pretty, with the winter light winding down its shelter in soft quietude. Ferny pitches and grassy bends set off the harsh outline of rock and shale, while a white mist, quivering like a clue above the rivulet, was melting into the faint blue haze diffused among the foldings and recesses of the land. On the hither side, nearly at the bottom of the slope, a bright green spot among the brown and yellow roughness, looking by comparison most smooth and rich, showed where the little cottage grew its vegetables, and even indulged in a small attempt at fruit. Behind this, the humble retirement of the cot was shielded from the wind by a breastwork of bold rock, fringed with ground ivy, hanging broom, and silver stars of the carline. So simple and low was the building, and so matched with the colors round it, that but for the smoke curling up from a pipe of red pottery ware, a stranger might almost have overlooked it. The walls were made from the rocks close by, the roof of fir slabs thatched with ling. There was no upper story, and except the door and windows, all the materials seemed native and at home. Lancelot had heard, by putting a crafty question in safe places, that the people of the gill here had built their own dwelling a good many years ago, and it looked as if they could have done it easily. Now, if he intended to spy out the land and the house as well, before the giant of the axe returned, there was no time to lose in beginning. He had a good deal of sagacity in tricks, and some practice in little arts of robbery for before he obtained to this exalted state of mind one of his favorite pastimes had been a course of stealthy raids upon the pears in scargate garden he might have had as many as he liked for the asking but what flavor would they have thus possessed moreover he bore a noble spite against the gardener whose special pride was in that pear wall and pet more than once had the joy of beholding him thrash his own innocent son for the dark disappearance of Bourier and Bergamont. Making good use of this experience, he stole his way down the steep glenside, behind the low fence of the garden, until he reached the bottom and the brushwood by the stream. Here he stopped to observe again and breathe, and get his spirit up. The glassy water looked as cold as death, and if he got cramp in his feet, how could he run? And yet he could see no other way but waiting, of approaching the cottage unperceived. Now fortune, whose privilege it is to cast mortals into the holes that most misfit them, sometimes when she has got them there, takes pity and contemptuously lifts them. Pat was in a hole of hardship, such as his dear mamma never could have dreamed of, and such as his nurture and constitution made trebly disastrous for him. He had taken a chill from his ambush and fright, and the cold wind over the snow of the moor, and now the long wading of that icy water might have ended up on the shores of Acheron. However, he was just about to start upon that passage, for the spirit of the race was up, when a dull grating sound as of footsteps crunching grit came to his prettily concave ears. 
At this sound, Lancelot Carnaby stopped from his rash venture into the water and drew himself back to an ivied bush, which served as the final of the little garden hedge. Peeping through this, he could see that the walk from the cottage to the hedge was newly sprinkled with gray wood ash, perhaps to prevent the rain from lodging and the snow from lying there. Heavy steps of two old men, as pet and insolence of young days called them, fell upon the dull, soft crust, and ground it heel and toe, heel first, as stiff joints have it, with the bruising snip a hungry cow makes, grazing wiry grasses. One of them must be Incy's dad, said Pat to himself as he crouched more closely behind the hedge. Which of them, I wonder? Well, the tall one, I suppose, to go by the height of that maunder, and the other has only one arm, and a man with one arm could never have built their house. They are coming to sit on that bench. I shall hear every word they say and learn some of their secrets that I never could get out of Incy one bit of. But I wonder who that other fellow is. That other fellow, in spite of his lease, would promptly have laid his surviving hand to the ear of Master Lancelot or any other eavesdropper, for a sturdy and resolute man was he, being no less than our ancient friend the old soldier Jack of the Smithies. And now was verified that homely proverb that listeners never hear good of themselves. Sit down, my friend said the elder of the twain, a man of rough dress and hard hands, but good straightforward aspect, and that careless humor which generally comes from a life of adventures and a long acquaintance with the world's caprice. I have brought you here that we may be undisturbed. Little pitchers have long ears. My daughter is as true as steel, but this matter is not for her at present. Are you sure, then, that Sir Duncan is come home at last, and he wished that I should know it? Yes, sir, he wished that you should know it, as soon as I told him that you was here, and leading what one may call this queer life. He slapped his thigh like this here, for he hath a downright way of everything, and he said, Now, Smithy, so soon as you get home, go and tell him that I'm coming. I can trust him as I trust myself and glad I am for one old friend in the parts I am such a stranger to. Years and years I have longed to know what was become of my old friend Bert. Tears was in his eyes, Your Honor. Sir Duncan hath seen such a mighty lot of men, that his heart cometh up the few he hath found deserving of the name, sir. You said that you saw him in York, I think? Yes, sir, at the business house of his agent. One master, Geoffrey Mordax, he come there quite unexpected, I believe, to see about something else he hath in hand, and I got a message to go there at once. I save his life once in India, sir, from one of they cursed sours, which made him take heed of me and me of him, and then it come out where I come from, and why, and the both of us spoke the broad Yorkshire together, like as I didn't care to do to home. After that he got on wonderful, as you know, and I stuck to him through the whole of it, from luck as well as liking, till if I had gone out to see to his breeches, I could not very well have knowed more of him. And I tell you, sir, not to regard him for a yordus, he hath a mind far above them lot, though I was born under them to say so. And you think that he will come and recover his rights, in spite of his father's will against him? 
I know nothing of the ladies of the hall, and it seems a hard thing to turn them out after being there so long. Who was turned out first, they or him? Five and twenty years of tent, open sky, jungle, and who knows what for him, but eider down and fireside and fat of land for them. No, no, sir. Whatever shall happen there will be God's own justice. Of his justice, who shall judge? said Incy's father quietly. There is not a young man grown who passes for the heir with every one. Ay, that there is, and the best game of all will be neck and crop for that young scamp. A bully, a coward, a pulling milksop is all the character he beareth. He giveth himself born airs, as if every inch of the riding belonged to him. He hath all the viciousness of Yordas, without the pluck to face it out. A little beast that hath the venom, without the courage of a toad. Oh, how I should like to see. Jack of the Smithies not only saw but felt. The Yordas blood was up in pet. He leapt through the hedge and struck at this man with a sharp, quick fist in either eye. Smithies fell backward behind the bench. His heels danced in the air, and the stump of his arm got wedged in the stubs of a bush, while Lancelot glared at him with mad eyes. What next? said his companion, rising calmly and steadfastly gazing at Lancelot. The next thing is to kill him, and it shall be done, a furious youth replied while he swung the gentleman's big stick which he had seized and danced round his foe with the speed of a wildcat. Don't meddle, or it will be worse for you. You heard what he said of me. Get out of the way. Indeed, my young friend, I shall do nothing of the sort. But the old man was not at all sure that he could do much. Such was the fury and agility of the youth, who jumped three yards for every step of his. While the poor old soldier could not move, the boy skipped round the protecting figure whose grasp he eluded easily, and swinging the staff with both arms, aimed a great blow at the head of his enemy. Suddenly the other interposed the bench upon which the stick fell, and broke short and before the assailant could recover from the jerk he was prisoner in two powerful old arms you are so wild that we must make you fast his captor said with a benignant smile and struggle as he might the boy was very soon secured his antagonist drew forth a red bandana handkerchief and fastened his bleeding hands behind his back there now lad he said you can do no mischief "'Recover your temper, sir, and tell us who you are as soon as you are sane enough to know.' Pet, having spent his just indignation, began to perceive that he had made a bad investment. His desire had been to maintain in this particular spot strict privacy from all except Incy, to whom the largeness of love he had declared himself. Yet here he stood, promugled and published, strikingly and flagrantly pronounced.' At first he was like to sulk in the style of a hawk who has failed of his swoop, but seeing his enemy arising slowly with grunts and action nodos and angular, rather than flexibly graceful, contempt became the uppermost feature of his mind. "'My name,' he said, "'if you are not afraid of it that you tie me in this cowardly low manner, is Lancelot Yordas Carnaby. My boy, that is a long name for anyone to carry.' No wonder that you took weak beneath it. And where do you live, young gentleman? Amazement sat upon the face of Pet, a genuine astonishment, entirely pure from wrath. 
it was wholly beyond his imagination that anyone after hearing his name should have to ask him where he lived he thought that the question must be put in low mockery and the answer was far beneath his dignity by this time the veteran jack of the smithies had got out of his trap and was standing stiffly passing his hand across his sadly smitten eyes and talking to himself about them two black eyes at my time of life as sure as i'm a christian howsomever young chap i likes you better never dreamed there was such good stuff in you master bert cast him loose if so please you let me shake hands with him bear no malice bad words deserve hard blows and i ask his pardon for driving him into it i called on a milk stop and he have proved me a liar he may be a bad un but with good stuff in un lord bless me i never would have believed the lad could hit so smartly pat was well pleased with this tribute to his prowess but as for shaking hands with a tenant and a common man as every one not of gentle birth was then called such an act was quite below him or above him according as we take his own opinion or the truth and possibly he rose in smithy's mind by drawing back from bodily overture mr burt looked on with all the bliss of an ancient interpreter he could follow out the level of the vein of each as no one may do except a gentleman perhaps who has turned himself deliberately into a common man burt had done his utmost toward this end but the process is difficult when voluntary i think it is time he now said firmly to the unshackled and triumphant pet for lancelot yordas carnaby to explain what has brought him into such humble quarters and induced him to turn eavesdropper which was not considered at least in my young days altogether the part of a gentleman the youth had not seen quite enough of the world to be pat with a fertile lie as yet especially under such searching eyes however he did as much as could be well expected i was just looking over my property he said and i thought i heard somebody cutting down my timber i came to see who it was and i heard people talking and before i could ask them about it i heard myself abused disgracefully and that was more than i could stand we must take it for granted that a brave young gentleman of your position would tell no falsehood to assure us on your honour that you heard no more well i heard voices sir but nothing to understand or to make head or tail of there was some truth in this for young lancelot had not the least idea who sir duncan was his mother and aunt had kept him wholly in the dark as to any lost uncle in india i should like to know what it was he added if it has anything to do with me this was a very clever hit of his and it made the old gentleman believe him altogether all in good time my young friend he answered even with a smile of some pity for the youth but you are scarcely old enough for business questions although so keen about your timber now after abusing you so disgracefully as i admit that my friend here has done and after roping your pugnacious hands as i myself was obliged to do we never can launch you upon the moor in such weather as this without some food you are not very strong and you have overdone yourself let us go to the house and have something jack of the smithy showed alacrity at this as nearly all old soldiers must but pet was much depressed with care and the intellect in his breast diverged into sore distraction of anxious thought whether he should draw the keen sword of assurance put aside the others and see and see 
or whether should he start with best foot foremost, scurry up the hill and void the axe of Maunder. Pallas counseled this course, and Aphrodite that, and the latter prevailed, as she always used to do, until she produced the present dry-cut generation. Lancelot bowed to the gentleman of the gill and followed him along the track of grit, which set his little pearly teeth on edge, while Jack of the Smithies led and formed the rear guard. This is now coming to something very queer, thought Pet. After all, it might have been better for me to take my chance with a hatchet, man. Brown dusk was ripely settling down upon the mossy apple trees and the leafless adlers of the brook and the russet and yellow memories of late autumn lingering in the glen, while the peaky little freaks of snow and the cold sighs of the wind suggested fireside and comfort. Mr. Bird threw open his cottage door, and bowing as to a welcome guest, invited Pet to enter. No passage, no cold entrance hall demanded scrapes of ceremony, but here was the parlor, and the feeding place, and the warm dance of the fire-glow logs that meant to have a merry time, and spread a cheerful noise abroad, ere ever they turned to embers, were snorting forth appointed flames, and spitting soft protests of sap, and before them stood, with eyes more bright than any flash of firelight, intent upon rich simmering scents, a lovely form, a grace of dainties, oh, a goddess certainty. Master Carnaby, said the host, allow me sir the honour to present my daughter to you in sea darling this is mr lancelot yordas carnaby make him a pretty curtsy Incy turned round with a rosy blush brighter than the brightest firewood and tried to look at pet as if she had never even dreamed of such a being pet drew hard upon his heart and stood bewildered tranced and dazzled he had never seen Incy indoors before which makes a great difference in a girl and the vision was too bright for him, for here, at her own hearth, she looked so gentle, sweet, and lovely, no longer wild and shy or gaily mischievous and watchful, but calm-eyed, firm-lipped, gravely courteous, intent upon her father's face, and banishing not into shadow so much as absolute nullity any one who dreamed that he ever filled a pitcher for her, or fed her with grouse and partridge, and committed the incredible atrocity of kissing her. Lancelot ceased to believe that it was possible that he ever could have done such a thing as that, while he saw how she never would see him at all, or talk in the voice that he had been accustomed to, or even toss her head in the style he had admired when she tried to pretend to make light of him. If she would only make light of him now, he would be well contented, and say to himself that she did it on purpose, for fear of the opposite extreme but the worst of it was that she had quite forgotten beyond blink of inquiry or gleam of hope that ever in her life she had set eyes on a youth of such perfect insignificance before my friend you ought to be hungry said bert of the gill as he was proud to call himself after your exploit you should be fed your vanquished foe will sit next to you and see you are harassed in mind by the countenance of our old friend master john smithies he has met with a little mishap never mind the rising generation is quick of temper a soldier respects his victor it is a beautiful arrangement of providence otherwise wars would never cease now give our two guests a good dish of the best piping hot and of good meaty fibre 
We will have our own supper by and by when Maunder comes home, and your mother is ready. Gentlemen, fall too. You have far to go, and the moors are bad after nightfall. Lancelot, proudly as he could upon his rank, saw fit to make no objection. Not only did his inner man cry, Feed, even though a common man feed with thee, but his mind was under the influence of a stronger one, which scorned such stuff. Moreover, Incy, for the first time, gave him a glance, demure but imperative, which meant, Obey my father, sir. He obeyed and was rewarded, for the beautiful girl came round him so, to hand whatever he wanted, and seemed to feel so sweetly for him in his strange position, that he scarcely knew what he was eating, only that it savored of rich, rare love, and came from the loveliest creature in the world, the stern fact it came from the head of a sheep, but neither jaws nor teeth were seen. Upon one occasion he was almost sure that a curl of Incy's lovely hair fell upon the back of his stooping neck. He could scarcely keep himself from jumping up, and he whispered very softly when the old man was away, Oh, if you would only do that again. But his darling made manifest that this was a mistake, and applied herself sedulously to the one-armed Jack. Jack of the Smithies was a trencherman of the very first order, and being well wedded, with a promise already of young soldiers to come, it behooved him to fill all his holes away from home, and spare his own cupboard for the sake of Mistress Smithies. He perceived the duty and performed it, according to the discipline of the British army, but Incy was fretting the conscience of her heart to get young Lancelot fed and dismissed before the return of her great wild brother, not that he would hurt their guest, though unwelcome, or even show any sort of rudeness to him. But more than ever now, since she heard of Pet's furious onslaught upon the old soldier, which made her begin to respect him a little, she longed to prevent any meeting between this gallant and the rough Maunder, and that anxiety led her to look at Pet with a melancholy kindness. Then Jack of the Smithies cut things short. "'Off's the word,' he said. "'If ever I expects to see home afore daylight, all these moors is known to me, and many's the time I have tracked them all in sleep when the round world was betwixt us. But without any moon it is hard to do em waking, and the loss of my arm sends me crooked in the dark, and as for young folk they be all abroad to once. With your leave, Master Bert, I'll be off immediate, after getting all I wants as the manner of the world is. My good missus will be wondering what has come of me. You have spoken well his host replied, and I think we shall have a heavy fall to-night, but this young gentleman must not go home alone. He is not robust, and the way is long and rough. I have seen him shivering several times. I will fetch my staff and march with him. No, sir, I will not have such a thing done, the veteran answered sturdily. If the young gentleman is a gentleman, he will not be afraid for me to take him home, in spite of what he hath done to me. "'Speak up, young man. Are you frightened of me?' "'Not if you are not afraid of me,' said Pat, who had now forgotten all about that maunder, and only longed to stay where he was, and set up a delicious little series of glances. For the room and the light and the tenor of the place began more and more to suit such uses, and most and best of all his incy was very thankful to him for his good behavior, and he scarcely could believe that she wanted him to go. To go, however, was his destiny, and when he had made a highly laudable and far away salute, it happened. 
in the shift of people and of light and clothing, which goes on so much in the winter time, that a little hand came into his and rose to his lips with ground of action, not for assault and battery, but simply for Assumsit. End of chapter 39 Recording by Keith Salas